This podcast is brought to you by the Reformed Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reformed views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. Our scripture reading this morning is in 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Let's read the chapter. Hear the Word of God. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. And there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness In the earth, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood. These three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which He hath testified of His Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not, God hath made him a liar. Because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death, and I do not say that he shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself. And that wicked one toucheth him not. 
And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true. And we are in Him that is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. We turn now to the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 34. Lord's Day 34. In this third section on how I might show my gratitude or thankfulness to God for so great a salvation, we've considered in Lord's Day 32 the must of good works. We considered in Lord's Day 33, conversion in every child of God unto good works, which are in obedience to God's commandments. And today, we consider Lord's Day 34 regarding those commandments, and especially on the first commandment that we seek to obey in gratitude. What is the law of God. God spake all these words in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, saying, and we read all those commandments already this morning. How are these commandments divided? Into two tables. The first of which teaches us how we must behave towards God. The second, what duties we owe to our neighbor. What doth God enjoin in the first commandment? That I, as sincerely as I desire the salvation of my own soul, avoid and flee from all idolatry, sorcery, soothsaying, superstition, invocation of saints or any other creatures, and learn rightly to know the only true God, trust in Him alone, with humility and patience, submit to Him. Expect all good things from Him only. Love, fear, and glorify Him with my whole heart, so that I renounce and forsake all creatures rather than commit even the least thing contrary to His will. What is idolatry? Idolatry is instead of or besides that one true God who has manifested Himself in His Word, to contrive or have any other object in which men place their trust. Beloved, in the Lord Jesus Christ, this morning in Lord's Day 34, we begin considering the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. And every Sunday, children... You are to remember as we read those Ten Commandments, and as we consider these Ten Commandments, three biblical purposes. 
or three biblical uses of the law or the commandments which God gives to us. The first purpose or the first use of the law is most important. It is called the theological or the pedagogical use. Pedagogical simply means the teaching of children like us. This is the most important purpose or use. If you forget all the other purposes or uses of the law, do not forget this one. The law is meant, first of all, to teach us that we are sinners. In other words, when we read each commandment, all ten, we are to not think of the commandments as a checklist of what we have done, but rather, we are to think of the commandments as pointing, even accusing us, of what we have not done, how we have sinned and broken each of God's commandments. The law is like a stern teacher to show us, children, our sins. So that having done so, that law then drives us, brings us to Jesus Christ and the Gospel. Because the only one who has obeyed that law perfectly is our Savior. And for His sake, God forgives us, His children. Galatians 3, verse 24, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. The second biblical use or the second purpose of the law is not so well known. It is called the civil use of the law. God gave the law also so that earthly governments like our government in America or Israel's government back in Bible times might take up that law and use that law to govern the country and especially to restrain outward sin in a country, in a state, in a land. So in our country, America's president, our Supreme Courts, the governor, policemen, all government officials in the civil arena are supposed to take God's law, the Ten Commandments, and use it to make laws of the land. And then to enforce those laws. Punishing those who break those laws and protecting those who keep those laws. Romans 13 verse 4 speaks of the government as the minister of God. The minister of God. A revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. That shows us that we are to honor the government, but first of all, actually, Romans 13 verse 4 shows us the duty of the government. That the government must take up the law of God, the Ten Commandments, have those Ten Commandments in their courthouses, and enforce the law of God. In this way, God restrains sin outwardly in this world, I say. Not in His grace to every single person in the world, but He does in His grace to His people, restrain sin with the law. The civil use of the law. And finally, the first use of the law is to show us our sin, to drive us to Jesus Christ. The second, the civil use for the government of the land and the restraint of sin. And third, the use of the law is a guide. A guide to us redeemed of gratitude, or poor gratitude. The law 
is not only show us our sin and drive us to Jesus Christ for our salvation from sin, but the same Savior speaks that law to us as a guide for how to serve Him in thanks. This is implied in the very words at the beginning of the Ten Commandments, which we read already. That's printed in the Heidelberg Catechism. It's in the prologue, the beginning of the Ten Commandments before the actual commandment, first commandment proper, we read, I am the Lord thy God, which hath brought thee out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. God is saying in that first part of the Ten Commandments, I have saved you. I have delivered you from the bondage of Egypt. I've delivered you, redeemed you from sin. Therefore now, in thanksgiving to this great Redeemer, obey the law, the first commandment being, have no other gods before me. This third use of the law, a guide of gratitude, is the emphasis of the Heidelberg Catechism as it brings us through the Ten Commandments. Catechism is focusing on this third use of the law, not to the neglect or the forgetting of the first use especially. We need that first use of the law always in our minds. We see that today also, how it shows us our sins once again and brings us to Christ. Yet the emphasis is on gratitude. This is how we do or show our gratitude. We do good works in thankfulness that is according to the standard of God's holy law. There are many antinomians or those of the hyper-Calvinist bent who argue against this third use of the law in some manner. I don't intend to cover all the different kinds of ways in which there are attacks against this third use of the law. Some say that the law was only for the Old Testament people, not for us in the New Testament. Others argue that we believe the gospel and not the law, detaching, detaching, separating the law from the gospel, as though one can believe the gospel and not have a love and a value of the law. Those are not the only ways in which there is an attack against the obedience of the law as an obligation of thanks. And that's not only a problem out there. Think of the word antinomian, anti-law. That's what that means. We considered last Sunday that we have an old man. That old man is antinomian against the law. There is a part of us, according to our sinful nature, that hates the idea of an obligation that we have to obey the law of God, the strict law of God, and to obey it strictly in thanks for our God and Savior. And so the battle is not only against people out there again, it's against our own sinful nature. The Ten Commandments are for us to obey in thanks required for us to obey and thanks toward our Lord and Savior. And the first and the greatest commandment 
that we seek to obey in thanks, knowing our salvation is this, Thou shalt have no other gods before Me. To put it positively, Jesus Himself verified this as the first commandment, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and Him only shalt thou serve. He said that to Satan in the wilderness, Matthew 4, verse 10. John's way of expressing it here in 1 John 5, at the end of the epistle, is this, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. And so with that flavor of 1 John 5, verse 21, we consider this first commandment. It's taught in Lord's Day 34. Keep yourselves from idols. First, the greatest commandment. Second, the guarding, command, the guarding that is commanded. And then finally, the growing that must continue. The growing that must continue. But not the, brev- the brevity, the shortness, children, of this first commandment be the occasion for us to imagine that this first short commandment is little. It isn't. This first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me, is weighty. It is deep. It is the most important commandment. That's why it's first. That's why it's first. Number one of the Ten Commandments. That proves it's the greatest commandment. And Jesus not only lists it as first here in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, but Jesus Himself said it was the greatest commandment when He summed up what we call the summary of the law. We read that in Matthew chapter 22 this morning already. But listen to that again when he says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's not only the summary of the entire law, but that is the first commandment. Jesus said it right away. This is the first and great commandment. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's that's another way of positively framing this first commandment. This is the first and great commandment above all the rest. Another way to show that this commandment is very important is not only to list it first and to say it's first and therefore the greatest, but it's also to put it last. You think about how John speaks of it here in 1 John 5. The last words are very important. You pay attention to the last words of a dying man. You would pay attention to the last words of an epistle. And John quite abruptly ends his epistle on that phrase, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. To draw attention to his last words. It was as if John was saying, above all, above all, my little children, if you don't remember anything else, do not forget this. These are my last words. Keep yourselves from idols. The greatest commandment. It's not difficult to see why Scripture makes this the first and the greatest commandment. We're talking about whom we worship. 
love, fear, trust, glorify. We're talking about the very object, the very being and persons that we must worship. That's everything. If you don't obey the first commandment, you might as well get rid of the other nine. For then following all the other nine commandments would be in service of a different God. Let's say, children, you, did, you didn't make any images, no statues of, of idol gods. You didn't curse God. You didn't, didn't break the Sabbath. You didn't work on Sunday. You came to church. You respected your parents. You didn't kill anyone. Kept from adultery. Didn't steal. Didn't lie. And, and you did all those commandments out of love for Allah, the Muslim God. To, to benefit yourself, the me God. You see how that would be a, the breaking of all those commandments. Because you are seeking to worship and serve a false God. You might be considered a moral person. You might be considered a, a sincere person even. But you would be sincerely wrong because all of your worship and service would be directed to the wrong God. James 2 verse 10 especially rings true for this first commandment. Whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. And that can be applied to all the commandments, but especially the first. The heart of this commandment. Love God. This God. You cannot keep any other commandment. You do not have the keeping of this first commandment. And to explain the connection of this greatest commandment as the first commandment with all the other commandments, I think in this way also, that you can trace, you can trace every sin, you can trace the breaking of every other commandment back to the first one. Why do you covet? Well, covetousness is Idolatry, Paul says later on. Why would you lie? Well, often because I want to cover up myself and I've made an idol of my name and reputation. Why well, commit adultery? Because I've made sex or I've made an attractive person or myself, my pleasure the idol. Why, why break the Sabbath? Because the entertainment, the work, the things of this earth, I, I've made an idol. Why worry? Because instead of trusting the sovereign God, I have trusted in my unreliable self. And the anxieties roll in. Ponder any besetting sin and do that today, beloved. A day of self-examination. And you will see that with any besetting sin, you can trace it back to an idol. 
that your heart, your sinful heart, has made. First commandment is the heart of all the commandments. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. When John, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, placed this first commandment at the end of his epistle, there was a specific manner of breaking the first commandment that he was addressing. A specific manner that John emphasizes and the catechism also emphasizes. And the specific manner of breaking the first commandment is by false doctrine. That, that first. That's what John is speaking against. Beloved, it is true. Doctrinal error is sin against the first and greatest commandment. It is. In chapter 5 especially, as, you, as we read through that chapter 5 of 1 John, you could, have, you could hear, you heard how John was doing theology. He was teaching the doctrine of God, that He is the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he was especially emphasizing that the sonship of Christ, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He was talking about that doctrine, the identity of Jesus. Verse 20, right before he ends the epistle, John sums up this doctrine, that which he had been teaching throughout the last chapter especially. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true. And we are in Him that is true. Notice the emphasis on true. Even in His Son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. There's only one true God, John is saying. There's only one true God. That's the principle behind the first commandment. There's only one true God, and, and this is the true God, the true God who has a Son, and that Son Himself is fully God. And any other God that does not have the Son as God come in flesh to fully redeem His people. Any other God is a false God. Therefore, John says, keep yourself from idols. It shows us that when there is false doctrine, it is against the true God, the object of our worship, and the breaking of the first commandment. John's not referring, first of all, to Baals and Asheroths and golden calves and statues of silver and gold or images of Mary and, and, and crucifixes. He's referring to the false doctrine of God and His Son, Jesus Christ. John is saying, you see, to put it this way, you see those Egyptians worshiping the sun and the cow god, and you think, that's foolish. You see those Philistines worshiping Dagon, the fish god, and you say, that's folly. You see the Greeks worshiping Zeus, 
and the seductive Aphrodite. You say, that's awful, that's gross. You see the Hindus bowing before gods that have an elephant trunk and, and armed goddesses. And you think, that's strange. And John replies, the same thing goes on in churches today without those foolish-looking images even. When people mar the record of the doctrine of what God says He is and who He says His Son is, when they mess with the deity of Jesus Christ and His humanity and His work of salvation, there is idolatry within the very church that claims to worship the true God. The Catechism in Answer 94, when it explains how to keep the first commandment, does so positively, puts this first among the positive explanations of how to keep the first commandment. And learn rightly to know the only true God. Paul's doctrine is sin. And it is sin against the first commandment. The greatest. Yes, beloved, there is an extreme viewpoint. An extreme viewpoint that can creep its way into our church and churches. I point that out in applying this. And that extreme viewpoint is that any aberration, any divergence, any error into of any doctrine means that a person in a church now worships a false god, an idol, and along with that has become a false church. That mentality assumes that I, with my church, have perfect doctrine and, and, and no aberration at all from any doctrine of God. That itself is idolatry. That is the pride that the first commandment condemns. As individuals and as churches, we must acknowledge that we are not perfect, even with regard to doctrine. The doctrine of God. That's an evil extreme, but having said that now, I warn you of the more prevalent error in our day and age. And the more prevalent error is to say, to think that doctrinal error is a minor thing. What's important, the world and the church will says, is that we obey the other commandments, that we, that we don't hate one another and we don't commit adultery, and we live moral lives. And don't misunderstand, those are important. The church world says behavior is more important. Doctrine is not so important. God's Word and the Reformed Creeds and the Hudbury Catechism here shows us it's a form of idolatry. It is. It's a form of breaking the first commandment. Allowance of a false doctrine really in any area of the truth of God's Word 
may not bring a certain person in a church immediately to worship and a false god, but it does bring us toward it. And the more and more that doctrines are compromised in the church of God, the farther downward we apostatize and are soon, far sooner than we recognize, bowing before a false god. Let me give you a simple illustration. Take a picture of yourself, a picture that you can point to and say, Here, here's a photograph, a picture of me. Looks like me. This is, this is me. And if you were to take a pen, children, or, or, or some sort of marker, and you were to put a little jot, just a little tittle to, to mar that picture of yourself, just a little bit, you would still be able to say, This is a picture of me. And someone says, who's that? You would say, that's me. And then take that pen over 365 days of the year, every day, just put another small mark, another small mark, another small mark to mar, to distort that picture a little bit. And pretty soon you will have to admit that is no longer a picture of me. And that is what is going on in churches today. God's people breaking this first commandment. A little mark, a little aberration, just a minuscule problem will let go. And soon, the perception of God in churches is entirely different from what Scripture teaches. Little children, John says, God says, Obey the first commandment. Keep yourselves from idols. Keep means guard. Guard against first false doctrine. Don't minimize the importance of every doctrine that God's Word teaches us. Especially the doctrines that are enjoined to the cross of Jesus Christ, to Jesus Christ's person as John emphasizes. Read. Study. Do not stop developing in your understanding of true doctrine. Do not, ama- uh, do not imagine that we as churches and you as individuals, we have arrived in understanding true doctrine. Your duty, according to the first commandment, is to know it, to know the truth of God's Word, to know also the kinds of errors that attack the doctrines of God's Word that you might keep or guard yourselves from Idols. This is the duty of office bearers. It's the duty of fathers for their families, mothers for their children. The duty of each one of us in the office of believer. Now we get into more specifics about this First commandment. It is about guarding against false doctrine. It is. But it's more. It is more. The individual who is guarding against false doctrine and the church that is guarding against false doctrine can break this commandment not only with their imperfect teachings, but also in their lives. The Catechism gets into that in detail. We don't have time to consider every single word here in Lord's Day 34 and question and answer 94. 
you see how many things the catechism addresses because the first commandment is so broad, it's so deep, it addresses so many aspects of life. Not only does it speak of learning rightly to know the only true God, it speaks of trusting in Him alone, with humility and patience, submitting to Him, expecting all good things from Him only, loving, fearing, glorifying Him with my whole heart, and renouncing and forsaking all creatures rather than commit anything against His will. Two questions to ask yourself that draw out the main teaching of Lord's Day 34 and question and answer 94. Two questions that we are to constantly ask ourselves as we guard and keep ourselves from idols. First, who am I trusting? Who am I leaning on? Idolatry, as the catechism defines it, and the last question and answer is, instead of or besides that one true God who has manifested Himself in His Word to contrive to have any other object in which men place their trust. Trust. Who do I trust? Yes, we may have a certain kind of trust, you know that, for one another. I trust my parents, a child might say, to instruct me, to care for me, to be a good example. I trust my office bearers, people in the church might say, I trust God has equipped them, that they will do their duty well. I trust my friend, he or she will not betray me, will be faithful, trust my spouse, my teacher, he or she is teaching me according to God's Word. So there is a certain kind of trust that we may have toward other people. So it's important to notice those prepositions in Lord's Day, or question answer 95, instead of or besides. Instead of or besides. An improper trust that is against the first commandment is to trust someone or something in the place of God. Instead of God. And the most Bothersome to our consciences is that other preposition, beside God. When our hearts begin to lean upon other people, upon ourselves as much as God, to the same degree as God or even alongside God, We've made an idol. Don't say that our hearts never do that. They do. Who do you trust? Who do I trust? Regarding salvation and the blessings of salvation. And you know the right answer. 
We speak along the lines of 1 John that we trust in God alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Good, that's how it should be. You know the right answer. You have the right doctrine. But as I mentioned last Sunday evening, as we combat the old man, it is very easy for our hearts to use our good works to make up for past sin. It's very easy for our hearts to make our works on the same level along with Christ. To seek to be more holy by my own strength. Here's what happens often. We confuse what we call means. There are means. That along with those means, God gives us blessings of salvation. But we begin to confuse the means. So we say, yes, we have church. We have church attendance. We have catechism classes. We have godly teachers. We have parents. But it's very, very easy for our hearts to begin to depend on the means that God provides alongside God. And that's when we fall into breaking the first commandment. Not only regarding the many blessings spiritually, but what do you trust in as you go through life and, and your earthly labors as you seek to care for your body care for your family, to supply daily bread. Yes, we must care for our children. We must care for our families. But we must ask ourselves, am I depending on my, on my own labor? Am I depending on my strength to protect my family? Am I, am I depending on my control? Men, my control of my children, my discipline, and my watchful eye of them Alongside? Beside God? We easily fall into idolatry. We must ask, am I depending on the doctors and the medications? And we may use those doctors and medications, and should even, as means which God provides for our physical health. But, easy... It is for our hearts to rely upon these things alongside God. What about our government? We want, we want a stable government. We want a good economy provided by a good president and, and a good government. But even as we desire those things and vote a certain way and talk to other people about what is the best kind of government, the best kind of person to rule our land. Be careful, beloved. It's so easy for our hearts to begin trusting in a government official instead of the King of Kings or beside the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Preservation of the church. The preservation of a true church of Jesus Christ in this place 
a greater desire of our hearts than even a stable government and most other things in life. Who do we trust? For the safety and the good of the church. Yes, God has given us office bearers. He's given us ministers. But do not place yourself, your trust in men lest we make them idols unreliable of themselves. Keep yourselves, beloved, from idols, trusting God alone, leaning upon Him and no one else beside. Second question for us to, to, to ask ourselves and guard against idolatry is, who do I love? Who do I trust? Who do I love? What do I take pleasure in and delight in? More or as much besides God. And all that you and I love, whether it be a spouse or a child or a potential spouse or a child that I want and do not yet have or any good thing on this earth that I have or want to have, we must evaluate our hearts. Do I love? Am I delighting, desiring those things, those people? As I would desire God, the idol factory of our hearts is a factory of mass production. It is a constant fight. And I could list a few things as I will this morning, but each one of us has to ask ourselves what is the idol that we love too much, as much as God. We love food, we say, and there is a proper enjoyment of food. But often, food can food becomes, and the belly becomes our God. Philippians three nineteen about the world. Paul says, "Whose God is their belly." That can come in the form of gluttony. When we see Sunday, morning, Sunday afternoon's table full of food, children, young people, when we become hangry, we say, because I want that too much. And I excuse my hunger or my anger with hunger. Food in our belly can become an idol. It doesn't mean necessarily that you have too many pounds. It's about the heart, not about how much you weigh. Children, candy, sweets, which we may enjoy, we may like, we may desire, and often become that idol. Fill ourselves with 
Because we love it too much. As much as God. There's a craze about food today. Not only regarding the food that we like the taste of. But superfoods, organic foods, non-preservative, non-processed, health foods. So much so that there is a legalistic thinking about what we eat, which may indicate an idolatry of health foods. Or maybe it's not the food itself, but the body that we have, our, our muscles, our leanness, our figure, our face. And we think of the mirror. And the first thing we think about when we think about a mirror is not the law of God that shows us our sin, but what we look like physically. Too often we make the idol our bodies. So we get into the exercising and the dieting and the pursuit of the bodies of this world. The idolatry of the body is a real thing. they are sports. Sports become a priority over devotions, over catechism, over society, over church. Not only sports we play, the sports we enroll our children in, the watching of those sports and the teams and the professional players and the Tigers and the Wolverines and the Spartans and the Bulls. Many of those teams and the names of those teams have an eerie resemblance to the idols of the Old Testament that many bow down to. Or maybe it's not the idols of sports themselves and the sports teams, but the actual entertainment and and the screens and, and the stimulation that my eyes might have as I look at my screens and social media as I seek to make myself look a certain way on social media. An idolatry of self. So many other idols we tend to love as much as or more than our God and our Savior Jesus Christ. The greatest idol, of course, being myself. Myself. To glorify me. Glorify my name. Glorify my reputation. To trust my ideas. To trust my control. To trust my solutions to all the problems. And so in hearing the many idols we can make and do make, we bow again in humble confession and repentance before God, don't we? We are, by nature, idolaters. We are guilty of idols that we have made of loving and trusting other things, other people, instead of or beside our God. If you listen to this first commandment as though you're pretty good at obeying, then you've forgotten the pedagogical use, the first use of the law. First use, remember, is to show us our sin. And in forgetting that first use of the law, we fall right back into self-righteousness if we think we have obeyed the first commandment pretty well. 
And self-righteousness itself is the most or is the worst form of idolatry. Pride is the idolatry of ourselves, our righteousness. And so in response to the law of God in the first commandment, we must acknowledge before God my sin, our sin as individuals and as a church, sorrowing before God. Who is a God of forgiveness. Little children, John says. Little children. Keep yourselves from idols, but little children. That's an endearing term. Endearing term that John, a preacher, a spiritual father to the people whom he wrote to, he speaks that endearing term. My spiritual children. It's not the first time he's had it in this book. He mentions it seven times. He calls them little children. It's not only an an endearing term of John toward a people, but it is an assuring term. Assurance of salvation in spite of our sins. When John calls them little children, he's speaking as the voice of God. Not because John himself is God, but because God speaks through John the preacher. You're my children. Little children of the Heavenly Father. Elect, chosen, forgiven. In the family of God. In spite of your sins. Forgiven for Jesus' sake. And yet, in addition to being enduring and assuring, humbling. Not just children. Little children. Meaning you have only a small beginning. You have much room to grow. There's much to improve regarding the obedience to all the commandments. Especially the first. And thankfulness. And thankfulness. God your Father, for Jesus Christ the Son, who has redeemed you in thankfulness, seek to guard, to keep yourselves from idols. With earnestness, there's an earnestness to this thankfulness, knowing so great a salvation. Cut out the idols. The Catechism communicates that earnestness right away. As sincerely as I desire the salvation of my own soul. That doesn't mean the Catechism is not saying that I must save my own soul. But to the same degree that you know the salvation of your soul and that you desire the salvation of your soul in Jesus Christ alone. Now, keep yourself from idols. Flee them. Guard yourselves from them. Mortify. The word guard or keep isn't much far, isn't far from the word mortify. Because a guard or a keeper is one who draws his sword, takes the word of God in hand, and fights against those idols that threaten his soul. Kill that old man that wants to bring forth idols and bow before them. Guard your heart earnestly. Guard those who are with you. Out of thankfulness. That's your motivation. 
Do you know him? Do you know him that John refers to? This is the true God. In him is life eternal. He is God the Son who made himself flesh to endure the depths of hell in your place and on that cross. The curse you deserve for breaking the first commandment he took. And did not just suffer, but throughout his entire life before the cross, he obeyed this first commandment with perfect love, heart, mind, soul, and strength for God. And that in your place, that you might be saved as his little children. Now little children, keep yourselves from idols, knowing that even as you go forth to fight those idols and keep and guard your sanctification, it is your growth in obeying this first commandment. It's not of your own strength. The one who commands you keeps you. The one who calls you to keep and guard equips you because you are his sons and daughters in whom He works His Holy Spirit, the very same Spirit who worked in Jesus Christ Himself. Amen. Let's pray. O God, we thank Thee for Thy reassuring Word to us that we are Thy children, little yet saved by the work of Jesus Christ, Thy Son. Forgive us, for we fall so far short. Cause us to know by faith that we are perfectly righteous in Thy sight, in Jesus Christ. And then put, O God, within us Thy strength, the strength of Thine own Son, His Spirit, so that we grow and mortifying the idols of our flesh, more and more grow in trusting and loving Thee, the one only true God. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast. We publish daily meditations, Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day sermons on Wednesdays, and topical podcasts on Fridays. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org, and you can email us with any questions or feedback at hoperwc at gmail.com. Thank you.